Ahoy, and welcome in to another mind-expanding episode of Not Allowed to Die, your podcast about mental health, where I, Dan Magler, social worker and life enthusiast, pull back the curtain on how mental health treatment works and sometimes doesn't work. Alongside me, as always, is Mariska, the three-toothed Patterdale Terrier, and she is sleeping soundly on her dog bed right now and not licking her paws. And you know what that means when she's not licking her paws. It means you have done an excellent job of rating, reviewing, following, and telling a friend about the podcast. And for any of you, remember, if you have a question for Mariska or for me, you can email us at dmaiglrlcsw at gmail.com. dmaiglrlcsw at gmail.com. So, as you know, I go through dilemmas that I'm seeing in my practice and, you know, the things that pop up. And I wasn't sure if I was going to record a podcast this week just because, you know, it's wintertime and my energy's been a little bit down. But then I was talking to a friend the other day at work and she was sharing about she was excited to pull off some steam and go to a book club. And they went and they were chatting. And a lot of the people... Um, at this particular book club happened to have been through um, a major life traumatic event. They were um, near a mass shooting. And it just so happens, you know, in the town that they were in, that a lot of the women that she's connected with, there there are a lot of people at this event. And she had no reason to suspect that this topic would come up, but it did. And she still finds it to be triggering to talk about. And she has a lot of training you know, in mental health, therapy, things like that. And so she understands how and when to talk about things and how to read a room. But not everybody does. And she wanted, on the one hand, to be respectful of people needing to share their stuff. And on the other hand, truthful to herself and to be able to say, yeah, maybe this isn't like the right feeling, the right experience for me right in this moment. And it brought up the question in my mind, how do we tell the difference between appropriate sharing and trauma dumping? It's something that comes up with my clients all the time. I was dealing with one client, you know, just today who was apologizing, apologizing, apologizing to their friend as she was talking to her friend at night and saying, oh gosh, like now she was just opening up and sharing about some experiences. Um, and the friend was totally cool with it but felt this need to apologize. If you are a person who catches yourself over-apologizing, we may have to do a special episode on that, some just techniques to, (laughs) I was thinking about it today as I was walking through the halls of my work and thinking, gosh, maybe I have to go, I've talked a lot about the paper clips or the coins in a jar for when you don't engage in a destructive behavior. Well, we may have to put those coins in the jar or whatnot for every time we apologize when we actually didn't do anything wrong. Many of my clients are they find them, they catch themselves because I mock them openly. Oh yes. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, you're, you're sorry for scratching your nose. Why, why do we need to be sorry for that? Sorry for crying in a therapist's office. Yeah. Those are not things we need to apologize for. So again, a very common feeling, but this person was, again, they were apologizing to their friend and we were talking about it. Were you trauma dumping or were you actually just talking different client? Also today, we were talking about this holiday time of year is really challenging for her. And she has a visceral memory of um, watching physical abuse happen to siblings on a Christmas Eve. And she's at this state where she's never been before, where 
her romantic partner, he's so great and they're so comfortable that she feels like she could share this aspect of her life with him. And that's something new. The question is, should she? So we're talking about like, again, is that something that's going to just be dumping her trauma on him? Or is it something that should be shared? And how do you even begin that? So I suggested to her, you say, you know, the next time that like their typical date night type situation is they're over at one of their places and they'll be about to, their routine is, you know, some people have a glass of wine, they smoke marijuana and watch movies and things like that. So I said, before you get into that, before the substance is getting away, say, you know, I want to pay you kind of a compliment, but ask you a favor and see where you're at with it. And I'm sure he'll say, fine. And then this idea of, okay, you're the first person I think I could trust enough to share some of the, the life experiences I've had growing up. And it's around the holidays time, so I've been I've been kind of thinking about some stuff from my past. And if it's okay, I'd be open to sharing it with you, but I, you know, it's kind of dark. So if you're not up for it right now, or if now is not a good time for you to hear any about any of that, you know, we could do it some other time or in the future. I just want to let you know you make me feel safe enough to share that. By putting it that way, it's going to be a compliment and it's going to be pretty well received. Is it subtle manipulation? Is anybody going to say no to that? No, you can't tell me about your life experience? I, I don't think so. But it's definitely like the first step in not trauma dumping is we're, we're preloading and we're asking permission. Then uh, we anticipate he'll probably say, sure, you know, yeah, I, I want to hear it. And I feel honored that you trust me in that way. Then I told her to say, okay, what I'm going to want is I'm going to share this story with you. And then I'm probably going to cry a bit. And I just want you to hold me. And then we can kind of smoke and watch the movie. By preloading and telling him before she starts into the story about what she's likely going to need, it's going to make it so much easier for him as the listener to know how to respond. Very frequently, it's challenging to know what a person wants from us after they've shared something really heavy. And so that preloading is, again, the second step in making sure that we're not trauma dumping. So again, giving that person permission, talking about this idea. We, in groups that I run, we often talk about the idea of trigger warnings. Well, in out in a party or a society, or when you're even just talking to a friend, it's not as common to say that. But if you know you're going to be talking about something, again, physical abuse, things like that, that somebody else hearing about it, if they happen to have a history with that, that could be triggering to them. It is right and fair to share a trigger warning. If you're going to get into things about whether it's a mass shooting or sexual assault or anything, a, a horrible car crash, being bit by a dog, things that people carry with them, negative experiences, we have to think to ourselves, okay, if I was on the receiving end of that, how would that feel? If you are, even if a person has agreed and you've, you've kind of preloaded, but you also then want to be watching their body language a little bit and noting if that person seems kind of like they're pulling in far away, freezing. I've talked in the podcast before about how I want to teach my sons that sexually they should not be seeking consent. They should be seeking enthusiasm. Now, again, I'm not expecting that when a person is listening to a story about trauma that they're going to be enthusiastic. But we want to make sure that we're more than just having a person's consent to share, that that person is okay. And again, the person who's sharing shouldn't have to take care of the person who's receiving that information. But 
I've just seen so many people sharing who were damaged by the response of the person they were opening up to. And when you're opening up to a therapist, and unfortunately I've heard horror stories in my office of, I remember <laughs> uh, I had a client who was telling me about the first time that, and again, trigger warning of sexual assault, but she was telling me about the first time she was sexually assaulted and she was 13 years old and it was, you know, friend of a family and whatnot. And when her, the therapist, she first told it about the situation to, when he heard about it, he became so angry on her behalf that she had to comfort him. And again, she was obviously older. She was about 16 when she first told the story to anybody. And she was contrasting that with when she told me the story, I was eating an apple when she started the story and I just kept eating that damn apple. And we processed that idea of why wasn't my reaction stronger, different, anything. And it was because I wanted to make sure her story was about her and that I was being fully present and that my reaction wasn't something that she had to take care of. And, but even still, I, we, we made sure we unpacked it because I didn't want her to misinterpret that. And so that's how I got to hear the story of how a previous therapist reacted to it. So again, it's not her responsibility to take care of me or whoever you are as the listener, or if you are the person who's telling, it's not your job to take care of that person, but you also do want to think, does this person have the capacity? Have they probably heard a lot of heavy stuff before? And if they haven't, the more I preload with them what I'm going to need from them after they hear this heavy stuff, the better a chance that I'm going to get the kind of reaction that I want. So often in life, we don't get what we want. But then when people are in my office and I'll ask, well, what were you wanting? What were you hoping for? What were you expecting? A lot of times they're just really not sure what they were asking for. Another aspect of trauma dumping, and when I was talking to this cl the, the client about the, what she wants to share with her partner, her boyfriend, a part of the reason why she wants to share it with him is because she wants to have a level of emotional intimacy with him that's going to enhance their relationship. It's, there's, a, there's a reason why she wants to share this and because she wants to be fully seen by a person that she loves. When we're trauma dumping, what we're saying is I'm just, I'm kind of vomiting these words out of myself because they have to come out. And I'm not really caring too much about how they land and who they get onto. And so that's a big difference in, if I'm giving this, again, you don't always have to be when we're sharing something, it's not automatically a trauma dump if you're not trying to do it to enhance a connection or relationship. But if we're, if we are, then we know we're not just trauma dumping. So again, am I thinking about the audience? Am I thinking about how I want them to respond? And what is my function? Why am I sharing it with these people? Again, I've talked about the on the podcast before. I there was a situation where met up with uh, my best friend and one of his friends who I she and I had uh, like hung out on other occasions, and then one of her friends that I also knew from high school it was probably about ten years after high school, eh, maybe five. And we're at this bar, and my my best friend and the other girl that I knew pretty well went to the bar to get a drink. And while we we're there, the, the girl just told me, "Hey, I was just the other day, I was sexually assaulted," and just let it put it out there and wasn't really sure what she wanted to do with it but she told me she hadn't told anybody else now again this was before i was you know a professional in the helping fields didn't i but again my response was just to listen to it without judgment and offer general 
ideas of support, but um, I might have handled it somewhat differently. I, I don't know in retrospect. That being said, if I look back on that, that was a trauma dump. It was fortunate that the person that she chose to dump that on me, like I didn't have any, you know, like for it wasn't triggering to me in any way. But and do I do I blame her for that? Absolutely not. This is a person who'd just been through something terrible. Again, a trauma. That being said, it's something that could have been triggering to other people. So we want to educate the people around us to make sure. And because, again, sh sharing and over some of the research, particularly on surviving of sexual assault, it's just when, when we clean out a wound, the first again, the first thing we do when we get a cut, hopefully, is we clean it. Because if we don't clean it out, it can get infected. If we let it get infected, then we go back to clean it, it hurts a lot more. The way we clean out an emotional wound is by talking about it. But when we have a physical wound, we clean it out, we put the bandage on it, and we let it sit. We might put some Neosporin on it, but we don't take the bandage off every single day and scrape off any scab that we're beginning to form. Because if we do that, we're more likely to make things worse. And one of the things research has found on people who share about their sexual assaults is that if they overshare, meaning if they tell the story over and over and over and over again, it, that can be damaging in that way of over cleaning out the wound. So how do we know how much is too much? Well, sometimes when we're sharing with people, the question is, do I really need to share the graphic details of everything that's happened? Or am I share, do I need to share the feelings and the needs for support that I have? So if I am talking to, again, a therapist, and if there's particularly, if there's something about, again, if I'm having reoccurring dreams about a certain aspect of an event, then maybe I do need to get back into it and say, why, why did like my brain keep bringing up those certain aspects of it over and over and over again to me? But if that's not the case, then I don't need to get into the graphic details when I'm sharing that story. And those are just not necessary things to do. Again, I don't expect everyone who's been through hard things to know that. And so that's why when we are around someone and they start to share, we don't want to necessarily interrupt, but we may want to say, you know, like, hey, I want to make sure like you're being supportive right now. Is this like space? Do we want to find a quieter space to talk about this or whatnot? And if they're like, oh, I'm an open book, I don't care. Okay, well, then we're just going to be glancing around at the other people and seeing if they have any need. If at any point you are feeling triggered, it is okay for you to say, I just need to go for a walk, take a break. If no one gets up to go check on you, then that's fine. That's on them. They might not have noticed anything, but don't be afraid to take care of yourself in that way. I was actually in a group talking about trigger warnings and how, how to handle this idea of people sharing too much information and sharing traumatic events. And uh, one of my, one of the the people in the group, they just, they got, they happened to get up and leave at that time. Now I followed up with them after and they said, oh yeah, I was, I was afraid you were going to think it was because of the topic that we were talking about. And it was just, I had to get up and go to the bathroom. So sometimes people just really do. It doesn't matter what the topic is, but we should follow up with people who exit from a conversation when something dramatic is ha being talked about, but maybe not right in that moment. I was, uh, on an unrelated note, got an amazing email from a former client and he was telling me, and again, I, it's funny that I was going to, I was thinking about talking about him on the podcast anyway, but there's a dovetailing because he experienced, uh, just the difficulty of people trauma dumping on him and a person who did that to him. And he had a lot of feelings of self frustration and guilt about 
being in middle school and him sharing more than he thought he should with middle schoolers who are probably not ready to handle it and feeling like he was pushed away by them. And the reality is we do the best we can with the skills we have. And I've tried to tell him many times that when he was in middle school, he, he needed to get some of that information out. And some of it might have been too much for the people that he was sharing it with. But he didn't know any better and he didn't know where else to go with it. And eventually, when he knew better and he had better resources, he did better with those things. He was sharing with me about an actor, David Tennant, I believe is his name, who played Doctor Who and he was in um, a show called Good Omens uh, on HBO Max, which was based on the book by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett, which I love so much. And how he had been, in his youth, absolutely obsessed with uh, Doctor Who and just wanted to, wanted to grow up to be him. And that was a kind of a, a bit of a clue in his life that maybe he was trans, <laughs> that, you know, it was, uh, biologically speaking, that would not have been what he would have thought he was growing up to be. But, you know, okay, little hint there. And seeing that later finding out that David Tennant has a child who's trans and that he's a strong advocate and he takes on and plays roles where he plays people who are bisexual or have uh, other orientations. And it may it took this fandom from a spot of just admiration for the characters someone could create to just a real deep affection. I think role models are so important in our lives. And I often will say to people, I want you to pick out three role models. One that's famous or fictional. One that you actually know. And then a third one could be a swing. Well, you know, for this guy, he could have had David Tennant could be both famous and fictional in that world, or Doctor Who, David Tennant, and, you know, maybe somebody else that he actually knows. Uh, he could have had all of these there, right there waiting for him. It struck a chord with me. I was, uh, I grew up on PBS and uh, Doctor Who and VHS tapes. My best friend's older brother recorded every single episode of Doctor Who that was uh, played on PBS, you know, from the time that the show was, you know, because they played it on just for all the way back from the beginning um, up until, you know, the, the 1980s when we were watching these things. And the character played the doctor was uh, an actor named Tom Baker uh, was the doctor when I was uh, really a fan of the show. And he was irreverent and silly and funny. And I think some of that is imprinted onto my personality. Also different just characters like Fletch or um, Chris Knight, uh, played by Val Kilmer from Real Genius. These are some of the, the early influences on just to be irreverent, care more about what is doing what is right and with a little bit of mm, sarcasm thrown in along the way. So I hope that those role models that I've captured from characters, from actors, that they, they represent me a little bit. I often talk about constellations and how are they real or not. And the constellations that we look at in the sky, there's not actually lines connecting them, but we can use them as a guide to help us navigate. And that's what I think role models do for us. I've talked before about my admiration wall that I have in my basement. And there are all people, former politicians, athletes, um, journalists, advocates for human rights. 
and none of them are perfect people. But I hope that my sons will look at them and as like stars in the sky to hopefully help guide them. I am <clears throat> my manipulation of my children. I've given them a tagline that Megler means kindness and zeal, and that Meglers love a challenge. I want them to internalize that and to believe that that's part of who they are, that's part of their makeup. And hopefully all the people, these people I admire that I put up there, they help them to see that that's, you know, something they can accomplish, even though none of these people are perfect. But all of them make this world a better place. So I hope for all of you, as we go out into this winter, you can look to your role models and see where you want to, you don't need to become those people, but you can chart a course and ask yourselves, instead of like those old bracelets would say, WWJD, what would Jesus do? You might say, what would Robin Williams do? What would Sojourner Truth do? What would Ida Tarbell do? Helen Keller, you know, any of the people that you admire and how can I be more like them in the decisions that I make day to day? Well, obviously a couple of different topics on this episode today. If you have questions about any topic, mental health related, please again, email Mariska and me at dmaiglr at lcsw at gmail.com. And until we speak again, do whatever it takes to get you through this world. And remember, you are just not allowed to die. And now for something completely different. Sometimes there are no words. Sometimes we need love, care, support, and affection. We don't want to explain anything. For young people with mental health issues like anxiety, depression, OCD, autism, therapy is often not enough. Paws for Patrick is an organization dedicated to connecting the love of animals to the people who need it the most. We facilitate that connection by assigning the seekers who contact us a wish granter who listens to their story and their needs and helps them acquire an animal or training or documentation so they can have their emotional support animal or ESA in their apartment, dorm, condo, etc. We even have trained therapy dogs and handlers who bring dogs to people who can't have their own. Patrick rarely had the words to express his feelings and his needs, but when he had the love of his dog Cece, he had the strength to persevere. We want to provide every young person who could benefit that kind of love and support. Please check out our website at pauseforpatrick.org. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. If you have a need, reach out. If you want to help become a volunteer, fill out the form on our website. If you can donate, great, but please at least spread the word so we can replace the suffering and silence that many people do with the smiles and security that only the love of an animal can bring.